Gear up for the great outdoors with Forlo, the brand that's revolutionizing outdoor apparel. Forlo's non-compromised, 100% American-made outdoor apparel protects your body from the elements so that your mind stays focused on the hunt, on the water, or on the trail. Your adventure starts with a solid foundation, which is why Forlo's base layer is designed to provide the comfort and insulation you need to keep going when the temperatures drop. Their uniquely breathable down layer ensures that you stay warm without overheating. And since proper protection goes beyond insulation, the final layer, a waterproof shield, completes the system. From UPF sunblocking material that shields you from harmful rays to polygene technology that masks your scent, Forlow's innovative designs and cutting-edge material ensures that you can focus on the adventure, not the elements. Their commitment to innovation and American craftsmanship will carry you beyond the known and into the unknown where the journey truly begins. Get the most out of your time in the outdoors and go to forlow.com and use code DAILYWIRE for 20% off your purchase. That's forlow.com, code DAILYWIRE. Feminists are absolutely fuming that North Korea could have a female dictator presiding over a regime of murder, torture, starvation, and rape before America does. There are reports that North Korea's dear leader, Kim Jong-un, may be dead after he injected himself with Clorox on the advice of his good friend, Donald Trump. Trump issued a statement about the report saying, quote, Ha ha ha. I knew the little psychopath would fall for that one. He's even dumber than Dean Bacay, unquote. In the aftermath, all eyes have turned to Kim's sister, Kim Yo Jong, the hot little number who charmed and delighted American news media outlets during the 2018 Olympics. CNN, CNN said she was, quote, and this is a real quote, stealing the show. The New York Times, a former newspaper, said she, quote, outflanked Vice President Mike Pence in diplomatic image making. And Mike Pence said she was, quote, a central pillar of an evil family clique that brutalizes, subjugates, starves, and imprisons its 25 million people. Pence may have just been jealous of her show-stealing charm, or he must may just have been telling the truth. Now that the little cutie may rise to ultimate power, feminists are upset that she could break the glass ceiling of psychopathology before an American woman, if you don't count Jennifer Rubin. Feminist lunatic and New York Times op-ed columnist Shrilly Whinging said, quote, it is shameful that North Korea may give a woman the right to slaughter anyone she wants when here in America we threaten to take away even her right to slaughter her own baby, unquote. Feminist academic Shrilly Whinging, no relation, said, quote, it's a disgrace. North Korea is a nation where a woman can have a man executed for not agreeing with her, whereas I can only destroy his career and have him assaulted by irrational mobs of slavish college students, unquote. Though Kim's death has not yet been confirmed, the North Korean military is apparently making plans for a stirring nationwide ceremony in which they'll elevate Kim Yo-jung to power and then assassinate her. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing. It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hurrah. So here's some important breaking news that didn't happen over the weekend. Trump did not tell anyone to drink Clorox or inject himself with anything. He did ask a doctor about whether tests showing that light and disinfectant killed the Chinese virus on contact could be put to use in some science fiction-y medical way. Here's the clip of him speculating this clip seven. Can I ask Bill a question that probably some of you are thinking of if you're totally into that world, which I find to be very interesting. So supposing we hit the body with a tremendous, uh, whether it's ultraviolet or just very powerful light. And I think you said that hasn't been checked, but you're going to test it. And then I said, supposing you brought the light inside the body, you can, which you can do either through the skin or uh, in some other way. And I think you said you're going to test that, too. Sounds interesting. We'll the right, folks who right. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or or almost a cleaning? Because you see it gets on the lungs and it does a tremendous number of the lungs. So it'd be interesting to check that. All right. So you can hear him speculating about this. And he was obviously reading an article or something about the, this new thing where they can inject uh, ultraviolet rays into the body. After he said this, left wing activist Chris Jackson tweeted that Trump, quote, urged Americans to inject themselves with disinfectant, unquote. You just heard the quote. 
He didn't say it. And Jake Maccabee, who worked for the Obama administration, then tweeted that Trump, quote, told people to drink bleach. And that became the news. Our own Daily Wire writer, Ryan Saavedra, wrote an article about this titled Fact Check. No, Trump did not tell people to inject themselves with disinfectant or drink bleach. I wanted to find that article, so I Googled Fact Check. No, Trump did not tell people to inject themselves. And the first result was from CNN. Fact Check. Trump dangerously suggests sunlight and ingesting disinfectants could help cure cure coronavirus, which is a twisted, biased, dishonest version of something that almost is sort of kind of true, but not. Meanwhile, further evidence that presidential candidate Joe Biden digitally raped a woman in 1993 came to light, and we'll talk about that. It was in CNN's archive. Only CNN didn't find it. It was found by our friends at the news website Newsbusters and then was ignored by the network Sunday shows. And there are new revelations that Congressman Adam Schiff and former CIA director John Brennan and oppo research guy Christopher Steele may be covering up information about how the Russia collusion hoax got started. That Russia collusion hoax that was a fake headline for three years with fake sources feeding fake information to fake reporters like Maggie Haberman. That that information is also going underreported by mainstream outlets under fire for the disinfectant remarks. Trump foolishly, in my opinion, said he was being sarcastic when he said that. But that's not what it sounded like to me. It sounded to me more like harmless Trumpian rambling about possible developments. But it's hard to blame a man for making a tactical error when he's battling a manufactured universe of disinformation. Think about this. Sex assault accusations against a presidential candidate and that candidate's obvious mental deterioration don't exist. They aren't news, not happening. But things Trump didn't say that can be misconstrued are news. That's not just lying. That's actual disinformation. It's essentially the matrix, a false universe of non-news that is news and real news that is no news at all. If that is not a central problem and possibly the central problem with our politics, the central problem that has to be solved. I don't know what it is. I will say this until I fall over sideways. The news media needs to be reformed in some way that does not violate the First Amendment. I'm going to show you stuff they're saying that will curl your hair if you've got it. They are the enemies of our republic and what they're doing is bad for America. All right, let us talk about something that is good for America. For a change, we'll talk about small businesses, which are great for America, obviously struggling under a tough time, but struggling to come back. And they're struggling against the media's outline of fear, their their narrative of fear and terror. They want to come back. They want to reopen. And ZipRecruiter wants to help. During this time, ZipRecruiter wants you to know that their focus hasn't changed. They are still doing what they've done from the beginning. They're helping people who need jobs, find work and helping growing businesses find the right people for their open roles. So if you're looking for a job right now, ZipRecruiter is working with you to find the right job faster. ZipRecruiter is dedicated to helping you get hired, whether you're looking for jobs and caretaking, to delivering food and goods, to building medical facilities, to supplying protective equipment, so much more. In fact, ZipRecruiter's app will send you up-to-date job openings so you can be one of the first to apply. And if you're actively hiring, ZipRecruiter will invite candidates to apply to your most urgent roles, making it faster and easier to reach the people you need. By connecting people who need jobs and companies that need people, ZipRecruiter is working with all of us so we can keep moving forward. Let us work together. ZipRecruiter.com slash work together. Check them out. So Trump says he is can- he's going to cancel or at least limit his daily coronavirus briefings. He was obviously really annoyed by this and a couple other uh, clashes with the press. And he uh, tweeted, what is the purpose of having White House news conferences when the lamestream media asks nothing but hostile questions and then refuses to report the truth or facts accurately? So he says they get record ratings and the American people get nothing but fake news. It is not worth the time and effort. Well, you know, the guy has been working around the clock. They say he's not even having lunch. And obviously this is uh, taking a toll. I thought he was wrong to come out and say, oh, this was... I was being sarcastic. It didn't sound like he was being sarcastic. I thought he was asking a perfectly reasonable question. He obviously wasn't asking whether you can inject Clorox. He was asking, was there some kind of way you could clean out the human system with light and with some kinds of disinfectants or, or you know, what, what we would call antibiotics? Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It is just like... Um, It is just like the thing about there being good people on both sides, meaning the Nazis instead of meaning the people who are arguing about the statue. It is fake news. And the reason I keep harping on this Joe Biden story, the reason I keep harping on it is because it is proof positive that we live in a dishonest media universe. 
you know, it's all that stuff, the believe women, believe all women, the lies, the Me Too movement, everything is different now, all the hysteria, a lie. It was all a lie. It was just a hit on Kavanaugh. That's all it was. And we know that now. It is proof positive in front of us that when the Democrats do the same thing, when the same thing happens to the Democrats, I should say, they're not going to cover it. All a lie. It's a fake world. It's, a, it's, a, it's the matrix. All right. I want to just start by by playing as I as I take a look at this Biden clip, I want to start by playing this thing that Chuck Todd did on his Sunday show. Just a very brief clip of him fading out, uh, cutting away. Um, Have we got this? And as we go to break, if there's a good thing about this economic crisis, it's been the clean air and views we haven't seen for a long time. Take a look. I love the music. It's like he's sitting in this French pre-French Revolution room at the Versailles Palace, you know. Oh, you know, the good thing about this uh, crisis, you know, you may be out of work, but I'm doing quite well, thank you. And my views are absolutely fantastic. You know, it's like, are you starving? I'm sorry, but my views and the air is clean. It's really, it's delightful. This is the thing. I don't know. I do not know because I watch these reporters. I do not know whether they are simply out of touch, so out of touch that they literally don't know that they're lying or if they're just lying. I mean, when you see Dean Bacay come on and say, well, we're not covering the Biden story like we covered the Kavanaugh story because it's not in the news. (laughs) That's a guy runs the New York Times. He's essentially saying we're not covering this because we're not covering this. You know, we're not covering it because we're not covering it. And in some ways, if it were just the Democrat Party, you would say, all right, they're a bunch of hypocrites, right? They're they're complete, uh, you know, liars. They're politicians. They're all politicians are dishonest at times. You know, I, I cannot I can't work up the same energy to hate Nancy Pelosi for her po faced lies that I can for these media people whose job it is to inform us of the truth. I want to go back, though, and just we have to go back for just a minute and revisit the Brett Kavanaugh thing. Here are the women of the Democrat Party talking about Christine Blasey Ford's completely unsubstantiated charges against Brett Kavanaugh. I mean, you have to remember this. And Molly Hemingway wrote a good piece about this recently at The Federalist. There's no proof that Christine Blasey Ford ever met Brett Kavanaugh. All the people she cited as backup said, no, we don't. All of them. There's no no one. No one said, oh, yeah, I was there. I remember that. It was terrible. No one said that. The people she said were at the party said we weren't at that. party. I don't remember that party. There's no corroborating evidence. Here are the way here's the way women reacted when this this this, I believe, is as she's testifying or right before she's testifying. I believe Dr. Ford. I thought she was credible. I believe her. Her, her. her story is credible. It comes down to credibility, to your point, Gail. And it's going to be about uh, listening to what each party has to say. But I believe her. I was proud of Dr. Blasey Ford's response and her demeanor. But more importantly, her, her courage in stepping forward. We must, first and foremost, protect and support the alleged victim as they come forward. This is a very difficult thing that she is doing, and I applaud her for her courage. Anybody who comes forward at this point, that takes an extraordinary amount of courage. There is no doubt in my mind, Harris, that Dr. Ford was a credible witness. Honesty, her integrity, her truth, it's obvious. A credible, credible woman coming from Dr. Ford, coming forward, and courageous enough to come forward without any benefit to her. She has nothing to gain. So Senator have to gain. The victims are blamed often and they're not believed. And that's why they're reluctant to come forward. So that's, you know, that is that story covered. Here's a Time magazine news cover in which that is made up of all these kind of words where Christine Blasey Ford's face is made up of all these words that, you know, about belief and the Me Too movement. And now women are coming forward and everything says this is 18 months ago, a year and a half ago. Tara Reid comes forward and says this happened. And let's and also let's remember the different charges. One charge was as a teenager, this guy lay down on top of her and she felt that she was threatened with rape. And then he fell off and was laughing and he was drunk. If that happened, that's bad. But at the it is bad. You know, it's not the way you should treat other people, obviously. And teenagers are not off the hook. However, at the top point where you're 50 and every woman, you know, is saying, no, the guy's a great guy. You might be able to say, well, you know, Somehow, sometimes you have to leave the past behind. We've all done stupid things. That was a stupid thing I did. If if there were any corroboration at all, what this woman is talking about is uh, Senator Joe Biden 
1993, when he was already 75 or 92 or something, pushed him up against, pushed her up against the wall and stuck her, his fingers up her. And then when she shoved them off, said, gee, I thought you liked me. So T- Tara Reid said, you know, my mother called Larry, the Larry King show and complained about this at the time because I, there was no place for me to go. And she talked to Larry King. Now, this is on CNN. Larry King show was on CNN. CNN did not find this. Our friends at Newsbusters at the Media Research Center, they un- dug it up and The Intercept wrote a story about it. Here, here's the tape that Tara Reid says is her mother calling Larry King. I'm wondering what um, uh, a, a staffer uh, would do, do besides go to the press in Washington. My daughter has just left there. Uh, after working for a prominent senator and could not get through with her problems at all. And the only thing she could have done was go to the press, and she chose not to do it out of respect for him. Or she had a story to tell, but out of respect for the person she worked for, she didn't tell it. That's true. So CNN, after a long delay, offered one story about this on Saturday afternoon. One story. They finally covered it. The media, the mainstream networks did not cover it on Sunday at all. And they had people on. They could have interviewed like, you know, uh, Nancy Pelosi was on. They, you know, people, people, look, if it had been Kavanaugh, they would have interviewed anybody. Uh, it, when Julie Swetnick came forward, and I'll remind you who that is in just a second. When she came forward, CNN gave Michael Avenatti, remember Michael Avenatti, who I think was sprung from prison because of the virus, they gave him 35 minutes across three primetime shows. Michael Avenatti was Julie Swetnick's lawyer, and she was the one who accused Kavanaugh of, of waiting, of standing outside a bedroom where numerous boys were waiting their turn to be to have sex with a girl inside the room, essentially a gang rape. Uh, and they, but she was so drunk. That was the thing, getting her drunk. And then she was on, and I believe it was NBC's Kate Snow who started to say, well, wait, th- your story is now changing, and all you're saying is you saw him with a red uh, plastic cup, and he was standing with a bunch of guys. I mean, her story fell apart very, very quickly when she was questioned, but that did not stop all the papers, including the, uh, the New York Times, a former newspaper, from covering this. So when Dean Bacay comes out and says, well, we covered it because we were covering it, but we're not covering this because we're not covering it, that is what he did. And remember, in both these cases, Joe Biden is a human being. Brett Kavanaugh is a human being. These are things that are happening to them that aren't necessarily fair. And the thing that's happening to Joe Biden, I, I mean, it's not this, so far, so far, we don't have any evidence. We don't have any proof. The story is not about Joe Biden. The story so far is not about Joe Biden. The story is about the press. The story is about the press creating a fake universe. And the fake universe was that now we care. This fake story was now we care what women say. Now we care what women are doing. Now we care what's happening to women. That was a fake story. We know it was a fake story. Not only was it a fake story for the Democrats, it was a fake story for the news media. And then we've got Biden. At the same time, we've got this poor schnook, Joe Biden, who's essentially now a cigar store Indian. The guy is deteriorating in front of us. They put out this the Biden camp, put this video out. Uh, over the weekend. This is Jill and Joe Biden. If you can see it, his face is hilarious, but go ahead. And together, we're just getting started. This moment reminds us that the presidency is about true leadership, having the forethought to prepare for the worst, the backbone to lead through chaos, the character to move beyond politics and serve every American, no matter where they live, or what they believe. Only one candidate in this election has all three. My husband, our next president of the United States, Joe Biden. I'm Donald Trump, and I approve this message. <laughs> I mean, through the thing, if you can't see it, he's standing next to her with this frown on his face. A lot of people on Twitter said he looked just like uh, Jeff Dunham's uh, ventriloquist puppet, uh, Walter, that is grumpy puppet. That and he did look like a ventriloquist thing, except he's not talking. So the only person, the only person in this race who is the man who can lead us, is this block of wood standing behind me who can no longer put an English sentence together and who cannot be trusted to do his own thing so his wife is doing it for him. I mean, this, and this is, but it's not a story. It's not a question. It's not even an issue. It's not even an issue whether this guy is competent to run for the presidency of the United States. There's all these rumors going around. I know all the leftists are saying, well, what he's going to do, he's going to appoint a vice president and then he's going to resign and the vice president, so watch the vice president candidate. Look, 
you're living in a fake world. You're living. I mean, this is, you know, Ronald Reagan said that, you know, the problem with Democrats is not that they don't know anything. It's that so much of what they know is untrue. This is the problem. This is the problem. You can't even have a conversation with them about the issues because they don't have the facts because they are living in the matrix. And that's that's the thing. It's all the matrix, the issues, the ideas, the facts. It's all the matrix now. And this is proof of it. All right. Well, there are two things I love. One is history and the other is rotten corruption. It makes me laugh. And Wondery is covering both. They've got a new show at Wondery called American Scandal, where they dive deep into the heart of the most shocking moments of fraud and deception in American history. Nothing I like more than a little fraud and deception. At the end of the show, after the credits, we'll be playing a brief clip from American Scandal season, the Harry Krishna murders. They explore an Eastern religion with pure intentions that in the hands of its Western followers became a criminal enterprise of drug running, molestation and murder. I know the story. It is a good one. Subscribe to American Scandal and other great Wondery podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right. Uh, let us talk about the... Pre- I, I have to read you a couple of things that I think hopefully will make you insane. Uh, I don't want ma- to make you, uh, you know, ruin your day, but I think you have to hear about some of this stuff. NBC on their website, they have a piece by Andy Lack, right? The, the president of NBC News. Uh, Journalism is under attack from coronavirus and the White House, but we're winning. At this dark hour, Americans are scared. They're hungry for accurate information and unvarnished truth. Now and in all the days to come, journalists will be there. This is from Andy Lack. And I (laughs) will remind you once again, Andy Lack is the guy who one of the guys who killed the Harvey Weinstein story at the behest or under pressure, we should say, from their Comcast masters who also own Universal, so it's a Hollywood enterprise who were under pressure, according to Ronan Farrow in a very well-researched and very uh, plausible book that I read. You know, it's a very plausible story that basically they put the pressure on Andy Lack and Andy Lack caved and covered up for Harvey Weinstein. So killed Ronan Farrow's incredibly well-researched, incredibly well-backed up story. All these women who had gone on camera and said, yes, Harvey Weinstein did this, this, and this. And Andy Lack was like, well, you know, I mean, I think, does people really care? Is this really a story? Does anybody know who Harvey Weinstein is? That's really what they said. They basically covered this up while, let's not forget, they were covering up Matt Lauer's depredations against women in-house, okay? So who are you if you're believing this? Who are you if these are the issues that are your issues? Who are you if you're saying, you know, yeah, believe all women, this is really the important issue of the day, and now it's not, you know? I mean, you are just being toyed with. You're just being used. And, you you know, it's not enough to say, well, it was wrong when Brett Kavanaugh did it and they made a big issue out of it and that was right. And it's wrong when Joe Biden did it and they're not making a big issue. No, no. This is the atmosphere in which we live. This is the atmosphere of information in which we live. They know they can control it. I want to read you something from The Atlantic. An unbelievable piece. It's, 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 beyond, it's beyond my ability to imagine. If you had told me that this piece would run in the Atlantic magazine, if you told me 10 years ago, I simply would not have believed you. This is by Jack Goldsmith, a Harvard Law School professor. Young people are in this guy's charge. And Andrew Keen Woods, a professor of law at the University of Arizona College of Law. Also, young people being taught by this guy. I got to just read it to you because I can't make it up. COVID-19 has emboldened American tech platforms to emerge from their defensive crouch. Before the pandemic, they were targets of public outrage over life under their dominion. Today, the platforms are proudly collaborating with one another and following government guidance to censor harmful information related to the coronavirus. And they're using their prodigious data collection capacities in coordination with federal and state governments to improve contact tracing. That's whom you've seen quarantine enforcement and other health measures. So they're spying on you and they're censoring information. Big business, big business is spying on you and censoring information. Okay. Civil rights groups are tolerating these measures, but are also urging a swift return to normal when the virus ebbs. We need, quote, to make sure when we've made it past this crisis, our country isn't transformed into a place we don't want to live, warns the American Civil Liberties Union. But, says the, say the two law school writers, but the extraordinary measures we are seeing are not all that extraordinary. 
powerful forces were pushing toward greater censorship and surveillance of digital networks long before the coronavirus jumped out of the wet markets in Wuhan, China, and they will continue to do so once the crisis passes. So they'll continue to censor information and spy on you. The practices that American tech platforms have undertaken during the pandemic represent not a break from prior developments, but an acceleration of what was already happening. In other words, the stuff you and I have complained about is the stuff they're now bragging about. As surprising as it may sound, say these two law guys who apparently have never read the First Amendment, as surprising as it may sound, digital surveillance and speech control in the United States already show many similarities to what one finds in authoritarian states such as China. Constitutional and cultural differences mean that the private sector, rather than the federal and state governments, currently takes the lead in these practices, which further values and address threats different from those in China. But the trend toward greater surveillance and speech control here and toward the growing involvement of government is undeniable and likely inexorable. In the great debate of the past two decades about freedom versus control of the network, China was largely right and the United States was largely wrong. This is The Atlantic running an editorial recommending that big business, that, that they're, what they're really saying is China is right to censor information and, and surveil people, but we can't do that. Government can't do that here. So big business will take the place. And China was right. And the United States was wrong. That's, that's a Harvard law professor. That's a law. Those are two law professors writing that. OK, which just goes to show you again, going back uh, to this idea that these people are out of touch with the people. And there, there are two Americas. There's the America that's out of work and the America that's not out of work. There's the America that's doing great and can work from home, which is like 60% of America at this point, And the America that is basically being treated like serfs because they can't get the, they can't make their own decisions. They can't have the information they need. This is an amazing, amazing moment in America because it's going to, it can really, it could get ugly. I, I'm hoping it won't, but something has to break this break the bonds. I mean, we cannot have Harvard law professors teaching people that the China, the state of, of China, which is a tyrannical state, should be imitated here, should be imitated here by big business. What happened to the left? What happened to the left that we used to say, well, big business is a threat. We need to break it up. Monopolies, these are bad. I mean, we know what happened to it because we know we've heard them say the First Amendment was good when it was helping us bad now that it's helping the right. They are weaponizing the First Amendment. We know, we know from the Biden story, we know from the way they've treated the First Amendment, it's all about them having the power. And who are they? Who are they? I mean, this is the thing that gets me. You know, every now and again, I go to a dinner that's run by conservatives and we sit around and an expert comes and talks about uh, things that he knows about or an article he's written. And then we all ask him questions and we have a discussion. And it's, you know, just prominent conservative people in L.A. And once a couple of years ago, a guy came who had been interviewing people in Silicon Valley, basically saying that people shouldn't should be given a universal income because they weren't going to have jobs anymore. And that's fine. And I said to him, what, what where's the meaning of life going to come from for people who don't have a useful purpose in society anymore? And the guy actually said to me, well, it'll be like Burning Man. You know, it'll be like what it's like Burning Man. You know, you take you'll take some drugs, you'll you'll talk. And this dinner has become kind of famous among this group because I climbed so far down this guy's throat. They had to grab me by the ankles and pull me up because I was about to rip him a new one from within. <laughs> and because I thought, like, this is a guy, a knucklehead, completely out of touch with the fact that people have lives. People count. They matter. Our people count. Our people matter. You know, listen, I'm not pretending that that I'm the person that I'm talking about. I know I'm still here working. I'm still getting paid for what I do. I can work from home. I, you know, I've done things over my life that sort of take care of me. I get that. But I also I am an American. You know, the people who are hurting are my fellow Americans. I do give a damn, you know. And meanwhile, it's, it's like these people don't even understand the reality of the people they're talking about. I want to play a clip of Ann Applebaum complaining about the misinformation from Donald Trump. Disinformation is a tactic, um, and it's one that Trump has used to great success um, in his political career, starting with 
um, using it against President Obama, accusing him of having been born um, outside the United States. Uh, it's also a tool that many other leaders have used frequently and regularly as a way of distracting their populations, as a way of dividing them, um, and also as a way of undermining real news and undermining real facts so that when they are accused of being corrupt or when um, unflattering stories about them appear, all they have to do is say, oh, that's the fake news media. You know, we don't believe in it. Um, we've all got rather used to this in the United States. But of course, this is a this is a tactic used around the world by by many leaders. It's, you know, it's not just Trump alone. Um, and in many ways, it's Trump's prime borrowing um, from the authoritarian playbook. So Come she's on, accusing dog. Trump of being an authoritarian. Come on, man. <laughs> she's accusing Trump of being an authoritarian. And Applebaum's a good reporter. She's done good journalism. She clearly just doesn't know. I mean, Obama, you know, bugged people's phones. He uh, tried to accuse uh, people of, of espionage. Uh, he really was oppressive to the press. Trump has done none of those things. But Anne Applebaum, it's, she is just part of another America, part of the America that is is fine, that is doing fine, that, that not the part of America that called on Trump to help them in their pain. All right, let us pause for just a second to talk about Quip, because, you know, this is a good time <laughs> to have a good uh, good habits. Absolutely good time to have good habits to keep up your health regime, especially if you're locked down, especially if you're not getting out. You don't want to fall apart. Quip is a wonderful uh, electronic toothbrush. These things are the way the dentists tell you you should brush your teeth. You should brush your teeth, they say, with electronic toothbrush. 75% of us use old, worn-out bristles that are ineffective, and even more people forget to floss daily. Uh, but good health starts with good habits. Quip makes it easy by delivering all the oral care essentials you need to brush and floss better. The Quip electric toothbrush has time sonic vibrations with 30-second pulses to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute routine. Paired with Quip's anti-cavity toothpaste in mint or watermelon, you get all the ingredients teeth actually need. And Quip also has an eco-friendly refillable floss with a dispenser you keep for life. Quip brush head toothpaste and floss refills are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks each. And if you go to getquip.com slash Clavin right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash Clavin, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Clavin. Quip, the good habits company. I know when I said spelled, you thought, spelled? How do you spell Clavin? I know. It's K-L-A. V. <laughs> one of us has to do it. I don't know if it's going to be me or you guys, but one of us has to say it. <laughs> all right. Don't forget, if you subscribe now and become a Insider Plus or All Access member, you will get two of the solid gold diamond encrusted uh, leftist tiers tumblers that are different than other solid gold diamond encrusted crusted tumblers by not being solid gold or diamond encrusted. Uh, Daily Wire members also get all the good stuff, the three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, the ad-free website, all our shows, and you get to ask questions in the mailbag. And during backstage, you will have no problems. You will have two Leftist Tears tumblers, and you'll have a subscription to the Daily Wire. So come on over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Right. So I, I want to play this uh, comic piece from Australia about celebrities uh, to kick off this. We're going to talk about Corona, the virus and reopening and all this stuff. But I want to just start it with this piece from Australia. They're mentioning a lot of celebrities, some of you, you whom you won't know because they're Australian, but you'll get the point. I see a number of deaths every day and the constant threat of being infected and taking that home to my family is terrifying. But the one thing that gives me strength to get to my job every day is watching Ellen broadcast from her mansion. This, this is like being in jail, is what it is. I've been waiting on hold for some length for, for days now. Um, I've lost my job, I've got no money, I've lost everything. Um, but this video of Amanda Keller dancing around in a massive kitchen is, is really getting me through. I have been working for 48 hours straight and my face hurts from wearing a mask for so long. I was going to go lick a patient to end it all, but Manu from MasterChef reminded me why I'm here. I just had to break up a fight in aisle three, and every day people call me a f***ing c**t. But having Sam Armitage reassure me from her sprawling rural property really makes it all worthwhile. <laughs> so, so, you know, this is the thing. We are, we, this, this thing has exposed two kinds of people, and they ain't black and white. 
and they ain't left and right. They are people who can live in this kind of environment and keep their jobs and have money and are doing well and people who are struggling. And it has also revealed the fact that the people who give us information, the press, the news media are part of that first group, the people who have what they need, who are completely taken care of, who are, you know, just can stay home and do their job from home if they want to forever, if they need to, and do not know that other people exist. It is one thing to be Chuck Todd. It's another thing not to know you're Chuck Todd, okay? This is the thing that really is uh, so troubling. It is one thing to be a good journalist like Ann Applebaum saying, oh, Donald Trump is, you know, sending out misinformation, disinformation, without realizing your entire industry is a generator of disinformation to the point where it has created a fake universe. And how are we supposed to talk to one another if one side of us actually believes that the Me Too movement was very important and suddenly not? You know, I mean, the, the Me Too, oh yeah, really big, oh, but suddenly not. That Brett Kavanaugh was accused of something, but not Joe Biden. I mean, how can you even talk to people before you get the fact that, you know, the Stacey Abrams was cheated out of a governorship? You know, these are things they actually believe because the press is selling them a false universe. And they do it not just by what they say, but what, by what they don't say. So now it's time to reopen. We have to do it. We cannot let something like 20 to 30 million people now out of work. It's ridiculous. You cannot have a depression caused by a situation that's not going to change. It's not going to change. It's not going away. And everybody is now saying this and everybody's now all the states are making slow movements. And I have been from the very beginning. I have not been on a soapbox saying liberty, liberty. It's all, you know, it, it, it's not it's not a libertarian question. It, it, it is in some places where you guys, guys like Bill de Blasio being jerks, but they're jerks. OK, it's not systemically a it's not systemically a question of our liberties. It is a question of just getting back to life. It is a question of getting back to life. It's not even a question. I haven't even stomped on the all the the. Um, the misuse of statistics where people say, well, it's only 50,000 people dead because it's not a question of how many. It's a question of how many, how fast and in how small a location. If Godzilla came down the street and killed 17 people, no one would say, well, you know, 17 people, you could, 17 people have a heart attack. They'd all say it's Godzilla. Right. Same thing with this. It's not the numbers. It's how it's happening. It's why it's happening, what we can do to prevent it. So I do believe in taking care. But here is Kevin Stitt, the, the Oklahoma governor, and he goes on Chris Wallace's show. And Chris Wallace is just hammering because he's starting to reopen. He's start doing it cautiously, doing it caref- carefully. But all Wallace will say was, he's like, aren't you afraid? Isn't the terror? Isn't there? And here's his response. You have to go back and think about why we closed down in the first place. You know, I've issued 15 executive orders since March 15th when I first declared the state of emergency, but it was to build capacity in our hospitals to make sure we didn't overrun our healthcare system. It was to build supply for PPE and it was to flatten the curve. The facts in our state are March 30th, we had, we peaked in hospitalizations with 560 across the state. Today, we have 300 across the state in our hospitals. We built capacity. We now have 4,600 hospital beds for COVID-related patients. And that was the whole objective when we got here on March 15th and we started this executive orders was to build capacity in our hospitals because we understand that COVID is still here. People are still going to get it. uh, But Oklahomans are safe and, and, and we're ready for a measured reopening. So that makes perfect sense. And remember, the hospitals are being killed by this, right? Because they can't bring in all the people who get the usual services that they provide, the elected uh, surgeries, the surgeries that are not elected, the normal cancer care and the normal care that people need that they get from hospitals. And they can't open for that because they're so focused on this and they're protecting people. And it's been and people are locked down. So it's been bad economically for even the hospitals. So the hospitals uh, are in trouble, too. So, of course, we have to open up. And of course, it's going to have it's, there's going to be some spikes. We want to do it carefully because you do not want such a bad spike that we have to shut down again. See, that would be a disaster if we have to shut down twice. That's a true disaster. So there's no Nobody saying, you know, like charge the barricades. There's nobody saying get back in. But here's a lady. I just want to show you this because I found this very moving. I, I actually found this incredibly moving. A lady in Georgia who's reopening her hair salon and she sends this message out to her customers. We're all wearing masks. We're going to have gloves on. Uh, we need you to wear a mask as well. You'll come up to this window, big sign, check in here. There's instructions to sanitize first. Sit in your car and wait on your stylist to come get you. Once your stylist comes and gets you, then you will be able to enter into the salon. Upon checking out, we do have 
um, like a, a mark on the floor here. That's where you'll stand to check out. You'll also have your temperature checked, so be prepared for that. <laughs> the reason I find this so moving is because she's not an expert. She's not Anthony Fauci. She's not Andrew Cuomo. She's not the governor of anything. She's just a girl trying to get her business up and running again. An all-American girl trying to do what all-American people do, which is live her life. She wants to be careful. She wants to take care of her customers. She wants to take care of herself, but she wants her business running again. She's got courage. She's got common sense. She's got a plan. She doesn't need anybody telling her what to do. This is the thing. She does not need anybody telling her what to do. I think most Americans are like this. I think most Americans are smart enough, especially people who are running small businesses. It takes a good mind to run a small business. They are ready to come back and take precautions. And people, again, you know, I don't think people are going to just run out and crowd restaurants and crowd theaters. I think there's going to be economic blowback. Steve Mnuchin, Treasury Secretary, he says he thinks things will come back pretty quickly. I don't think anybody knows, but let's take a listen at least to what he says. I think as we begin to reopen the economy in May and June, you're going to see the economy really bounce back in July, August, September. And we are putting in an unprecedented amount of fiscal relief into the economy. You're seeing trillions of dollars that's making its way into the economy. And I think this is going to have a significant impact. So he's saying we'll come back pretty quickly. On the other hand, you have Ayanna Presley. She's like the Chico Marx of the squad. Uh, she just wants she just wants free stuff. She wants this to be this is a great opportunity for free stuff. So these are the two sides. Bring back the economy. Let people do their thing. Let free people do their free business thing. And here's Ayanna Presley. The things that I'll be fighting for student debt cancellation. We need rent and mortgage cancellation. And might I add, not just residential, but commercial as well. More money for our community health centers because they serve our most vulnerable, for our undocumented and our immigrant family, friends, and neighbors. What else? Direct cash assistance, more support for our food banks because food insecurity has been the number one issue um, that I've heard. So just remember, the person who takes care of you is the person with the power. When your mom and dad are taking care of you, you got to obey the rules in their house because you need them to take care of you. When you go out on your own and you start making your own living, you can do what you want. Same thing with this. When they're giving you free health care, when they're giving you free uh, loans, when they're giving you free this and free that, they're in control. When you're out there like that lady in Georgia running your own business, making your own decisions, bringing in your own income, then you make the rules. It's that simple. The Democrats aren't, they're not selling, they're buying. They're not giving you stuff. They're taking stuff away. The money that they give you is to buy stuff. It is to buy your freedom. It is to buy your rights. Why? Because they think you're deplorable. They think you're deplorable and should not be making the decisions. They despise the small business person. They despise the individual. They despise the person who has a you, you know, they're telling you they want big business to sp censor your information and spy on you because China was right and the United States is wrong to give you freedom. This is the, this is the fight we're in. This is a real thing. And they are creating a matrix of misinformation to get their power in place, to get their vision in place, to create a free market China that, that works just like China does. All right. A final reflection. Uh, I, I told you over the uh, weekends we've been trying to watch uh, classic films. So this is a kind of one that's kind of in keeping with the theme of what I've been talking about, because it's kind of a Me Too story. It's The Apartment by Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder, one of the greatest writers, directors of the uh, golden age of Hollywood. Uh, just so much stuff. Uh, what did he do? Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity. Uh, oh, man, uh, some like it hot. I mean, just one classic, classic picture after another. And this is about a schmo in a big company, Jack Lemmon who is loaning his apartment to the executives above them so that they can ha cheat on their wives, uh, bring girls there to their apartment to cheat on their wives. And Shirley MacLaine plays the elevator operator in the building, who's very cute, obviously. And this is a scene in which one, one of the guys just gives her a flack on the backside and she shames him. And then the conversation follows between this guy and Jack Lemmon. Watch your step. And watch your hands, Mr. Kirkby. I beg your pardon. One of these days, I'm going to shut these doors on you and... 20 next. Aunt Kublik, boy, would I like to get her on a slow elevator to China. Yeah, she's the best operator in the building. Yeah, well, I'm a pretty good operator myself. She just won't give me a tumble, date-wise. Maybe you're using the wrong approach. Yeah, a lot of guys around here have tried it. All kinds of approaches. No dice. 
What's she trying to prove? Well, it could be she's just a nice, respectable girl. There's millions of them. Listen to him. Little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> the thing is, she's not. She is also having an affair with a married man who is stringing her along, telling her she's gonna, he's going to get a divorce, telling her that, you know, he loves her when he's obviously just using her. He's done it again and again and again. Uh, Fred McMurray plays the bad guy. Famously, somebody came, Fred McMurray, famous for being like the father in My Three Sons, kind of a good guy type character. And somebody apparently came up to him in Disneyland and slapped him for, the, for being in this movie. And he said, I'll never do it again. I'm never going to play a part like this again where I'm a, an evildoer. The thing about this is it's a great, it's a terrific movie. It's just a really, it's funny. It's fun. It's very poignant. But the thing about it is, is that it it is honest about the female character, about Shirley MacLaine, is that she is in love with the guy who is using her. She's in love with the guy who is abusing her. She knows he's abusing her. She knows he doesn't care about her. She knows he's lying to her and she loves him. And that's an important point. You know, I think that this is an important thing that you have to realize because then it, it shares the responsibility. It's a question of how do you get out of that situation? How do you get out of that mindset? And just as a closing thought, I want to tell you that I think that is what is happening to a lot of our liberal friends. They know they're being lied to. They know they're getting disinformation, but it's telling them what they want to hear. And they're in love with the people who are creating the false world that isn't there. They love that false world, just like Shirley MacLaine loves the false world in which this guy loves her. They love they are being abused by a media that has lost its sense of what they're supposed to do and who they're supposed to do it for. And it's it is it's abusive. It is abusive what the New York Times does, what ABC, NBC, CBS does when they tell you they care about women and the Me Too movement. And then it turns out, no, they just care about power. It, that's abusive. But on the other hand, there's this audience that wants to be abused because it's comfortable in the matrix. They don't have to hear the opposing opinions like we hear on this show. All right, I'll be back. Tomorrow, I'm Andrew Claven. This is The Andrew Claven Show. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, give us a five-star review. And also tell your friends to subscribe, too. We're available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Matt Wall Show, and The Michael Knowles Show. Thanks for listening. The Andrew Clavin Show is produced by Robert Sterling and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. And our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Assistant director, Pavel Wydowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio mixed by Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. Animations are by Cynthia Angulo. Production assistants, McKenna Waters and Ryan Love. The Andrew Clavin Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You're about to hear a clip from episode one of the Harry Krishna Murders on American Scandal. But before that, make sure to subscribe to American Scandal and other great podcasts from Wondery on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. It's a little past midnight on May 22nd, 1986. Steve Bryant walks towards his van on a quiet residential street in West Los Angeles. With his round glasses and soft, kind eyes, Steve could be a UCLA grad student. But the truth is he's a college dropout. While he spent the last two years studying and writing, it's not about anything you'd learn in school. He's been living in his van as he crisscrosses the country, trying to get people to listen to his tale of abuse, corruption, and fraud by a worldwide religious organization. It's an explosive story, bursting with salacious details that will blow people's minds if they'll only believe him. And that's the problem. He's talked to reporters, written a book. He's talked to anyone who would listen. But most people dismiss him as a nutcase. And the ones who do believe him, insiders who saw things firsthand, are afraid to speak up. And the ones in power the ones who know the truth, they want to see him silenced. When he thinks about everything that's happened, all he can do is shake his head. He was in his early 20s when he joined. He was a happy guy. He'd finally found a community where he felt like he really belonged. Now he's 33, divorced. He's lost custody of his kids. So many battles and all of them lost. A couple of weeks ago, 
he finally admitted defeat. The bad guys have won. Now it's time to just let go of the anger, and let go of the hurt, and move on. Tomorrow, he'll head up to the bucolic town of Mount Shasta, California, where he has a lead on a job customizing vans. He wants to start over, have a normal life. Tonight was a good night spent with old friends. He didn't have to convince them of anything. They know he's telling the truth. Their conversation was about the future and new beginnings. The message was clear. Move on, Steve. Let it go and live your life. But he knows he's in danger. That's why he refused his friend's invitation to spend the night at their apartment. The last thing he wants to do is draw them into this mess. He'll park a few blocks away and spend the night in his van. He crawls into the back, lays on his home-built bed and wraps himself in a blanket. It's after midnight and he's exhausted, but his mind keeps racing. He closes his eyes, willing sleep to come. But sleep is not cooperating. He throws off the blanket, crawls into the driver's seat and rolls a joint chanting softly as he rolls. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna. Hare Krishna devotees like Steve aren't supposed to do drugs. They aren't supposed to do a lot of things, but some of them do. Some of them do terrible things. And if you speak up and challenge their authority, he shakes his head. Let it go, Steve. You're moving on. New beginnings. As he fires up the joint, there's a tap on his window. He turns and recognizes the face in the shadows immediately. It's not someone he wants to see. Tirta, or Thomas Drescher. Tirta lives in West Virginia, so he should not be here. Not in L.A., and certainly not standing next to Steve's van late at night. Maybe it's Steve's mind, playing tricks. He blinks to see if Tirta will disappear. But when he opens his eyes, Tirta's still there, staring at him. Steve keeps chanting, Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Does he still believe in Krishna? After so many years of disappointment, after losing his wife, losing his children, his innocence, part of him still does. And all of him needs Lord Krishna's protection right now. Hare Hare. Kirta raises his hand. It's holding a 45. Steve leans closer. Hare Rama. To listen to the rest of Episode 1 of the Hare Krishna Murders on American Scandal, click the link in the show description or subscribe to American Scandal and other great podcasts from Wondery on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.